Welcome to the Christianity 101 podcast, where we examine big ideas in Christianity from the perspective of those who aren't quite sure what they believe. I hope you've enjoyed these last few lessons where we've kind of taken Christianity from a 30,000 foot view. We've started with the epistemological foundations of Christianity, which is the, the how we come to know uh, what we know about Christianity in our episode about why the Bible. And then we looked at the gospel, the central message of Christianity, the wonderful news of what God has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ and what that means for the world. And so now we want to actually crack open our Bibles and start to look at what is in the Bible, how we get to that story, the context of the gospel, the context of the message that God gives gives us. And to do that, because this is an intro class, uh, because it's an intro series of topics, we are not going to be able to obviously read the entire Bible to you uh, over the various podcasts. That would take much more than our 20 to 30 minute time period. But we're going to look at it uh, start to finish and kind of summarize the major movements within Christianity, uh, the, uh, the major movements within the story, a story that starts with creation. It starts out with what the Bible tells us about our origins, where we came from as a people, and how that kind of impacts what we think about the entire world. So this episode is Why Creation, and we're excited to get started and work into it. The Bible begins with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The way that we're looking at the Bible, the way we're trying to understand it, is we are trying to understand that the Bible is a story. Now, it's a true story, but it is a story nonetheless. And so every story, there's kind of various elements that happen throughout the story. There's characters, there's plots, there's settings, and all of those things are true within Scripture. Now, it's a very complex story. There's different people and characters. There's different time periods that elapse. But ultimately, the entire story is taking place throughout, really, history. It's the, the Bible is the true story of history. And so the really important thing that we need to learn when we start to study the Bible is who is the story about? Who is the main character of the story? And when it comes to the Bible, that answer is very simple. It is God. God is the primary character that is working all things together throughout the Bible. The Bible is not a story about us finding authentic versions of ourselves. The Bible is not wisdom that's going to help us live our lives the way that we want to live them. Guys, the Bible is about God. So the key question that we have to ask ourselves when we're reading the scriptures is, is not, what do I learn from this? Uh, what do I learn about reality? What do I learn about these people in this time? The primary question we need to ask is, what does this story teach us about the nature and character of God? That is always the main question that we need to be asking. This is important for Christians. This is important for everyone, because we believe that right and wrong, good and evil, are all based upon God. God's character and God's decree. This is how we Christians determine whether any action is good or bad. Good actions are there within the will of God. That is what God would have us do in any place or time. Bad actions are outside of the will or purview of God. 
We Christians do not look within ourselves, our feelings, or our emotions to determine what is good, right, and true. We look to the perfect God who never changes to determine what is good and what is evil. And so the more that we learn about the nature and character of God, the more we are able to understand the world that God created. So as we open our Bibles to Genesis 1, we are presented with the story of creation. We are told that the earth was formless and empty, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now this formless and empty word is the word that Hebrews associate with the concept of chaos. In the ancient world, there was a belief that the world was a battleground between the forces of order and the forces of chaos. That was definitely the case in the Egyptian worldview. That was definitely the case in the Mesopotamian worldview, which are the two dominant cultures surrounding the Israelites, the culture to which the Bible was presented. Now, it's really cool. The way that God communicates with his people is not in some abstract way concept of understanding truth. God uses the language of culture in order to teach us about who he is. It's one of the beautiful things about God, which it also makes it profitable for us to understand something about the culture to which the Bible was given, not because it's going to totally radically change the meaning of the stories that are presented in the Bible, but it's going to help us understand uh, some of the details and nuances. All that being said, when the Bible starts with the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, we have to understand that what that is saying to the audience it was given to is God is hovering over chaos. And then what unfolds in the first chapter of Genesis is God creating order out of this chaos. Now that was a big, big deal, especially to the Israelites. The Israelites, when they received this story, when they learned about who they were, they had spent their entire lives under the yoke of oppression of the Egyptians and living in the Egyptian world. And if you understand the Egyptian mythology, the gods were the ones who brought order out of chaos, but primarily Pharaoh, who was divine in the Egyptian mythology, was the one who was the vassal of the gods who brought order out of chaos. And so this story in Genesis chapter 1 is a direct challenge to Pharaoh's sovereignty. God had already exercised his authority over Pharaoh. The Israelites were already a people. They had already been brought out of Egypt. But their whole worldview had been shaped by these stories, these Egyptian myths. And the way that they understood the world was that the various Egyptian deities controlled the forces of chaos. And what God is telling his people on Sinai through Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is no. I create order out of chaos. I am the great architect of history. I am God and I am God alone. Now, this story was given to the Israelites in around 1400 B.C., so that is a long, long time ago. That is 3,400 years ago, if I can do math. In 3,400 years, some of the terminology has changed and some of the stories have changed, but that fundamental idea that order and chaos are these primary forces in the universe is still true today. Rather than describing those forces as gods at war, we now describe them with scientific terms like the law of thermodynamics, entropy, and the like. Fundamentally, we still believe that the universe is ultimately in chaos, and we are still baffled at the fact that our world is so creatively and beautifully ordered. And into that world, Genesis 1 still speaks profoundly. It tells us that the world that we live in is no accident. The world we live in is no 
random compilation of molecules and atoms that just so happen to, over the course of time uncountable, come together in a bunch of random and chance events in order to create the world that we live in. No, it, it declares the truth that this world is a masterpiece created by a master creator. That the world that you see, the beauty that you see, the the intricacy and the wonder and the majesty, you see it and you feel it because it was beautifully, fearfully, and wonderfully made by a creator God who intimately designed every single aspect of the universe, created it good, and created it to flourish. That is what Genesis 1 and 2 teaches. This understanding is quite different than mythologies both ancient and modern. While the Egyptian mythologies cast Pharaoh as the great bringer of order from chaos, when we look at the Mesopotamian mythologies, they deal with the forces of order and chaos, but rather than there being one central figure who brings the order out of the chaos, those forces are definitely at war. And the creation myth from the Mesopotamian mythologies is creation out of the great battle of the gods. The same is true of both Norse mythology and that of Greek mythology. We talk about these mythologies because they shape a culture. They shape a culture's self-understanding. If you understand the story of where you came from, that means a lot about what you believe about who you are as a people and where you're going. And because God speaks in the language of culture, we can look at those various mythology stories and see what this culture is saying about itself through its mythological understanding. And from there, we can look at the Bible's claim and what the Bible says about where we came from, and so learn what God has to say about where we came from and why that matters. We learn from Genesis 1 that our world was not created from the, as a result of a power struggle, such as we see in a Greek, Norse, or Mesopotamian myth, as well as many Eastern religions such as Hinduism. Nor was it an accident of impersonal force, as thought of in the scientific mythologies, such as the uh, atheistic mythologies that we all came from a random confluence of atoms after a Big Bang and an untold amount of time, with no constructive or creative designer uh, working behind those forces. The biblical picture, as we've said, is, says that creation was the product of careful and intelligent design which has radical implications for every single aspect of our lives. If the universe was carefully created as an artist paints a masterpiece, then the world has value, meaning, and purpose. All that we see and do and encounter is not accidental. It has meaning and importance. The grandeur of the Rockies is not simply a product of geological activity, though it's not less than that. The complex ecosystem of plants and animals across the land and sea are not simply power struggles for resources in a harsh and unforgiving world. It was designed to unfold by a loving God who delights in its existence. Guys, if the scientific mythologies are correct, then we are the product of a one and one hundred billion gazillion billion 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 chance. We're just an accident. Every single aspect of our lives is devoid of meaning of any objective meaning. Social justice does not matter. Relationships do not matter. Love does not matter. We are all simply a cosmic accident whose ruins will be wiped out from the cosmos at the dying of our star. Any meaning or purpose is simply an illusion in your mind. 
Every individual must decide for themselves what matters, has purpose, and is worth pursuing and fighting for. And no individual has any right to try and convince anyone else that their reason for existence is actually true in any kind of objective sense. Why help the poor? Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the elderly. We're simply atoms, chemical reactions. There is no subjunctive tense, no ought to be or should be. Morality is not real. Love is not real. Everything is simply scientific determinism. It's chemical reactions and biological programming. This is not to argue that people who don't believe in God are not good people. This is not to claim in any sense that people who are atheist or, or believe in the scientific mythologies do not have a heart or a conscience or they're any more cruel or any less moral than people who do believe in God. As we said in our last episode about the gospel, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What you believe about the origin story of the cosmos does not inherently make you a good or bad person, more righteous or less righteous. But what we are arguing for is that if you do believe in those scientific mythologies that the world is just a cosmic accident, then you have no objective reason to believe that anyone ought to do anything. If the world is a cosmic accident, then there is no meaning. Helping the poor, helping the needy, fighting against injustice and oppression is no more significant, no better or worse than being an oppressor or ter destroying the environment or being completely selfish. Each person who makes each decision is just a random con confluence of atoms. All it is is decisions that are made by the biological programming in our brains and the world interactions between people is just a series of chemical reactions that will last until your heart gives out there's nothing more to it than that but if the bible is true there is such thing as objective meaning objective good and objective bad it is right to help the poor and people ought to do it it is right to clothe the naked, and people ought to do it. It is right to feed the hungry, and people ought to do it. Not because it feels good, but because those people are made in the image of God. Those people were created by God and have value, dignity, and worth. The reason why we Christians can pursue social justice is because we know that God loves his children. The reason why we Christians can care about the environment is because we know that we were created to be stewards of this earth, and so we should be, think and try to act responsibly whenever we are engaging with the world that God gave us. And we know that we will be held accountable for what we do with the time and the resources that God has put at our disposal. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 teaches us that God created a world and he created it good and he intended it to flourish. And he created us as people to be co-laborers with, with him, for us to rule and reign over that creation and work to make it flourish as God did in the beginning. Now, something went terribly wrong with that creation, and that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode. But for now, I'd like to just leave you with the secure knowledge, the truth that this world matters, your life has purpose and meaning because of the work of a creative and loving God.